From Square Two, this is What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO at Square Two, and along with my longtime friend, Eric Kalis, and co-founder at Square Two and six-time entrepreneur, Eric and I will answer the question CEOs have every single day, what's wrong with revenue? You can be part of the Livecast show where we'll answer your questions every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, or catch the show on demand on YouTube and on all your favorite podcast networks. Also check out all our audio and video content on Square2 Plus at the square2marketing.com website. Enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 47 of What's Wrong with Revenue. Today, our issue is you're not using account marketing correctly. Eric, how you doing? Doing well, thank you. I'm going to consider this the uh, Shore episode. How do you feel about that? I think that moving location just adds a certain flavor to the show. Right. For all you fans out there, Eric has spent his entire summer at the Shore. I'm spending the next three weeks at the Shore. So we're considering this one of the Shore episodes. Thanks for joining us. Today, we're gonna be talking about account-based marketing. If you are interested in the show, check us out on YouTube. The Square Two Marketing channel has all of What's Wrong With Revenue shows posted there. This show will be posted there tomorrow morning. You can like us, you can subscribe to us, you can leave us comments, please do. We love hearing from all of our fans on our YouTube channel. If you like podcasts, the show is available on all your favorite podcast platforms. Just check out and search What's Wrong With Revenue, Podbeam, Stitcher, iTunes, Apple, anywhere podcasts are found, you can check out What's Wrong With Revenue. And if you want to check out Square Two's relatively new, not so new anymore, streaming service Square Two Plus, go to square2marketing.com backslash Square Two P-L-U-S, and you can get all of Square Two's audio and video content in one central Netflix-style resource Finally, if you want to submit questions like the questions we're going to handle today, if you want the show, if you want to join us live, if you want the show on your calendar, or if you want the show emailed to you directly, you can subscribe to the What's Wrong With Revenue show. At the bottom of our website, there's a link, What's Wrong With Revenue, click it, and you'll get all the information you need to know about the show. So our account-based marketing is one of the hottest tactics discussed today, only one of the hottest topics over the past couple of years, it really kind of booted inbound off of the top of the marketing charts when it showed up maybe a few years ago. But we still see lots of companies who don't understand it, don't exactly know how to deploy it, don't know how to measure it, think it's kind of a fast track, quick solution uh, when they're lacking sales opportunities. But we know, and we'll talk a little bit about this today, executing ABM correctly means you need a very clear set of targeted companies, excellent database with current and accurate contact information. You need highly personalized and targeted content. You need social media messaging, and you really need a tight alignment between sales and marketing. And even with that, you really need to give it a relatively long window for it to begin to produce results. It's a long-term tactic, and it might take you 30 to 60 days before you really start to see any type of return on your ABM campaign, especially if you have a long sales cycle, which many of our clients do. Today, we're going to cover in the show how to go about creating a list of top-tier targets, what might be in a second-tier target, or even a tertiary-tier target, because some companies have multiple tiers that they're going after, how the ABM campaign execution is different at each level, why you need a personal campaign content included to target these individual contacts, why social media outreach is mandatory to get new contacts engaged with your content, and 
why you really shouldn't even be trying an account-based marketing if you don't have a tight alignment between sales and marketing. So with all that packaged up, Eric, kick us off with some introductory commentary about account-based marketing. Account-based marketing, AKA ABM. You know, what's interesting is it's just a different form in a different package of traditional, you know, outreach that I'd like to do business with you, let's talk. But the dimensions of it include two critical factors, digital tools and great content. And that has really changed the game around um, outbound. Now, you said that it, it, it knocked inbound off the top of the list of, of uh, everybody's current topics. And I don't think if you didn't have inbound, you wouldn't have today's form of ABM because inbound by definition requires a lot of content. And if you don't have rich content and good technology tools like nurture follow-ups and LinkedIn advertising, you wouldn't have the ABM that we have today. So it's just another stepping stone on the evolution of, you know, trying to connect with your perfect target market and explain to them why you're the obvious choice to do business with. I will say that your earlier comments are correct. Like people aren't quite sure about ABM and exactly how do you deploy it? And isn't that just cold calling or shouldn't I do paid ads? And what I think that people don't understand is the elegant orchestration between many tactics and tools to create an experience for someone who maybe doesn't even know your company to then switch from, I didn't even know this company to, wow, I really love what they have to say and I've scheduled a meeting. And that um, vision of how you could really uh, leverage ABM to drive more hand raisers and conversations is really the essence of the strategy of ABM. I think you're right. You really summarized it nicely. You know, like I may have mentioned this before, but I remember when I used to work at Dun & Bradstreet, it was my first job out of college, and it was your typical coffee is for closer sales organization, and they went very I'm sorry, coffee's for closers? Leads are for, what is it? Leads are for closers? No, oh, coffee is for closers. Coffee is for closers? Yeah, they ran a really traditional sales organization where guys were just pounding the pavement, making phone calls, going to visit people. And a lot of people have kind of uh, lumped ABM in a similar kind of approach, but with more digital tools and maybe a slightly more elegant approach Honestly, I think ABM came from the fact that you can't just blanket email everybody without getting into some kind of trouble. You can't call anybody because a lot of people aren't in their offices anymore. Heck, people don't even have offices anymore. So and you certainly can't send them mail, letters, direct mail packages or things like that. So what are you going to be left to do if you want to be proactive? You know, inbound, while a wonderful approach to marketing is a very reactive set of campaign tactics. You have to publish, you have to be found when people are searching, you have to earn somebody's attention. It's really about positioning yourself so that when someone has an interest, you can be found and then engaging them in a conversation until they're ready to buy. ABM kind of leapfrogs ahead of inbound in an attempt to connect with the people that you want to be talking to in a proactive manner. So I think that uh, a lot of people looked at ABM as a way to supplement their inbound campaigns that were taking too long. Um, also, a, inbound really has nothing to do with sales. Inbound is purely a marketing tactic. Sales only gets involved when someone raises their hand and says, I want to talk to someone. So a lot of companies running inbound campaigns were like, well, what do we do with these salespeople? Just have them sit around and wait for the, the email to come in or the notification to come in? No, they need something to do. 
great, let's give them a set of things to do that are digital like ABM. So I think that's kind of where a lot of this came from over the past, past couple of years. And I'm not judging it. I think all of these tactics have relevancy depending on your company and your go-to-market strategy. And I get it. You know, you have reps and you want them to be, be proactive and they just can't make phone calls and send cold emails. So what are they going to do? So I totally get it. Um, I think ABM does have some uh, baggage associated with it specifically around what's involved with it. And Eric makes a very good point that it, it still involves a series of well-orchestrated campaign executions. And specifically, you know, when we work with clients around ABM, there are a couple of steps that might help you understand the different kinds of executables. Like even if you have someone's email address, you really can't email them unless they've asked to be emailed. And like, there's lots of ways to get around that. And some people might be doing it and you might be fine today. You might not be fine tomorrow. So eventually I think it's a high likelihood and this is getting harder and harder and harder. If you haven't gotten in trouble for doing cold emails, it's probably a matter of time. The HubSpot police could come after you. The Google police could come after you or people are getting smarter. Like if anyone has filled out a form on their iPhone lately and I, the I, Bowen has asked you if you want to use a fake and obscure email address, you can see that our email databases are not going to be as good as they used to be. So you have to start thinking a way around that. And a good ABM campaign includes that. It means connecting with people on social with highly personal and relevant content. If someone were to reach out to me on LinkedIn and introduce them, themselves to me and offer me something of value from a content perspective, I think there's a very high likelihood it would clearly cut through the clutter because no one is doing that. But if they were to do that, I would be like, oh, that's interesting. Sure, you can send that to me. And here's my email address. And now they have a legit email address that they can really start talking to me in an ongoing way. Now that just because I'm a new connection, they now have to keep me engaged with the email and the content that they're sending me via email. So there are a couple of very clear steps that you have to go through in an ABM campaign in order to even get it to the point where sales has a legitimate sales opportunity that they're pursuing. And to Eric's point, I think a lot of people blow right by that and look at it as more of like a sales enablement tactic as opposed to a well-integrated marketing and sales approach. Want to add anything to that, Eric? No, no. I mean, um, I, I, I think the biggest obstacle to people leveraging ABM is that they don't understand what you just said. And that it's not just cold calling. It's not just cold emailing. It's not just paid ads. It's an orchestration of those things to provide an experience for the prospective client. Right. Agreed. Um, let's talk about the targets, right? Because we, you know, when we talk to prospects and clients, they're like, oh, I know exactly who I want to sell to. I want to sell to the top 10 blah, blah, blahs and the blah, 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 right? We're like, okay, great. That's perfect for ABM. You know, uh, share with the audience a little bit how you guide um, companies around selecting those targets and talk a little bit about how you might uh, recommend someone think about tiering those targets. Yeah, well, I always talk about it in terms of buckets, right? So we make the assumption that um, the buyer, let's call it the business unit manager is who you're pitching, right? So the business unit manager is running some group of people and they need your product or you assume they need your product. They might not assume that yet. So that's one bucket, definitely tier one. We call them the decision maker and they're going to be the primary champion or cheerleader for your product or service. That's our tier one. 
The challenge is, and I don't remember what the latest stat is, how many people now are on the decision-making committee, Mike? Uh, last I heard, it was like 12 people have to be part of a decision at like an enterprise level. Right, which also, you know, digital tools has fueled that. We could share a Google Doc. We could uh, do, send a recording of a sales meeting. We can all weigh in on that. So no blame, it's just the way it is. So if tier one is the actual buyer, if the person who's the product or service is going to be used by, then tier two has to be other people that are influencing that decision or even making that decision from a financial perspective. So secondary people might be... Um, uh, directors or managers that are affiliated with the business unit manager. And then adjacent to that might be purchasing or procurement because they have to be involved, especially if you're selling them like a 50,000 piece of software, $50,000 piece of software or something like that. Now, you have to segment those because obviously most of your efforts, uh, we all agree that nobody on this meeting today has an unlimited marketing budget. So because we're limited, we want to focus on that tier one person. But we also have to make sure that we have all the information to take care of the other two buckets I mentioned. Uh, the pains and problems of the procurement or the purchasing department are completely different than the pains and problems of the tier one buyer, which is actually probably different than their boss or their um, re uh, report. And these are the things that people have to think through. So not only do I have to have a strategy to go after all my tier one people, but then I have to come armed with the strategy to go after the people, or sorry, to engage with the people that once the tier one buyer raises their hand, I have a set of uh, uh, talking points that I could leverage for those other folks. So let me give you an example. Let's use the software example. Okay, great. I'm gonna use the software uh, because this software is going to automate my business. Great, makes sense, gonna save money, efficiency, get insight, reporting, analytics, whatever you need. However, the pain that that's solving is the business unit manager wants to be better in their department. Fair. Think about the purchasing person. What do they care about? Is this above our spending limit? Does this fit into our 2022-2023 budget? Um, how is the paperwork going to be designed and how is it going to match up with the way we like paperwork for our company? How um, big a discount did I guess? How big a discount? What are the payment terms, right? Do I pay the 50000 up front? Is it a monthly payment? Do I get a discount if I do pay up front and how substantial is that? That has nothing to do with the function of the software. But it's important for you as the seller to understand that these are going to be the questions that come up in the buyer's journey and they have to be accounted for. So what if we put together a very simple guide, the ultimate procurement or purchasing department guide to buying our software and just answer 80, 90 percent of the questions they're going to have that keep coming up over and over again. A couple things happen there. None. The purchasing says, look at these people, this software company, they provided such a lovely guide. I understand exactly what's going on. Yeah, I might have a question or two, but I get what's going on here. You know, Charlie, you wanted to buy this software. I like it. They don't even know what the software does, but they like the approach. Or sometimes it's hard for the business unit manager to carry the story about why they want to buy this software to their boss. Well, let's create a piece of content. Uh, six ways to uh, position the software as a mission critical element of your business, dot, 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 and how to sell it to your boss. Very simple piece of, of, uh, of content, which is what would have been discussed anyway in the sales process. But because we have that content, we've now armed that tier one person with the tier two uh, pushback that might occur because they're not uh, quite sure it's perfect. There's some open ends. I got a lot of questions, so forth and so on. And it's no different than our conversation, I think it was two weeks ago, Mike, when we talked about using the reference reel to eliminate the reference calls, right? Mm -hmm. We have a piece of content that plugs right in on that business a buyer's journey um, and enables it to go on to the next step. We've done our job with that piece of content.
So that's how I would prioritize that. Now, there could be other um, extraneous people in individual companies that might be tier two, tier three, tier four that we don't know about. But what you're trying to do in an ABM, ABM campaign is really to cover all of the major bases. If you have those three, the boss, the business unit and purchasing, and that's pretty typical, I would start there and I wouldn't start worrying about who else might be involved in the decision-making process at this time. Yeah, I think the personalization of the message, story, and content is one of the areas we see missed quite frequently. Because and, it's work. Right. And and a lot of work and relatively complex. You know, you're talking about roles, which is one uh, area of personalization, but you really need to be looking at industry too. So, you know, if I'm talking to the CFO at a manufacturing company, I should have different content if I'm talking to the CFO at a professional services firm or the CFO at a software company. So, you know, if you're going after multiple verticals, I think that's another level of personalization that you need to consider in this campaign. You may also be looking for content in context. So depending on their pain or issue, you know, do you have content that's tailored to the CFO for that particular industry, for that particular issue that they're trying to solve for? So, you know, Eric's right. Like it's, it's multi-level, when it comes to arming the sales reps and creating the content and the experience to really execute an ABM campaign effectively. It's not just about outreach to a target. Now, you know, Eric gave you a very interesting perspective on tiering, but there's a whole nother philosophy that you could also consider on tiering. And that's more about the opportunity and the uh, investment in the campaign that you want to make. So if you think about, look, the whole concept of ABM is hunting for whales. So if you're going after the whales and you know that there are 20 whales in your industry, 20 companies that you want to do business with, maybe you're already doing business with three of them and there's 20 others that you think you can help uh, in a similar way. And it's going to be a huge win for your company. You know, those 20 companies and the eight people at each of those companies, now you're looking at what, 160 people? Is that right? Thank you, Eric. 160 people that you need to get in touch with in this highly personalized way, you know, I would consider that tier one, right? And I'm going to go all in on tier one. I'm going to send them a package that has my message in it. I'm going to invite them to a cocktail party that I'm planning to have at the big event we're, we're all going to be at together. I'm having my best sales rep lean into the, that outreach. I might even put some executive sponsorship on the team to try to make some connections and get some attention there. Like I'm investing a lot of money to score those whales and I'm going to build an ABM campaign around that. Now, that's 20 of the big companies out there. There's probably another 200 companies that you would also like to do business where they're just not the top 20, right? Good, not great. Want the business? Yep. But it might not be a $2 million deal. It might be a $750,000 deal, right? Those 200 people and the seven people at the 200 company, now you're looking at 1,400 people in tier two, right, Eric? Close enough. I'm good at okay. marketing. Okay. So you have a right. So you have a much bigger audience and a much bigger list. And you know, perhaps you're not going to go all in on those, right? You're not inviting them to the big party at the event. You know, maybe you're sending them a smaller trinket that's a little less expensive, and you have your, you know, regular reps trying to go after those people. Um, 
And, you know, that's another way to tier your ABM approach, like different amounts of money invested in different types of companies based on their opportunity and a whole different set of execution. Regardless, you still need to personalize the outreach. You still need to orchestrate the entire experience. It's just a question of how much are you willing to invest to score those opportunities and uh, what does that execution look like? Yeah, from an ROI perspective too, like if you're going for whales, right, you could spend a little bit more, uh, lean into it a little bit more. If you're going broad and using demand generation, then you have to spread all those expenses over all those people you have to talk to just to find the few little fish in there. So right. um, I, I think that that's an important fact also. A lot of times you mentioned a package. I think that's such a great idea, right? Send a package, uh, there, you know, direct mail is down. Nobody's really excited about getting something. Now a box appears and there's some interesting message in there. I don't think enough people lean into that where you could make a quite an impression on someone uh, without spending more than, I don't know, 10, 20 bucks. Yeah, uh, why don't you talk? We have a very specific program we use in this kind of uh, situation. Why don't you talk about that a little bit? Well, it's the program is a component of an overall ABM campaign, you know, if you know where the people physically are. And it's called a 10-10-10 program. 10 packages, 10 phone calls, 10 packages. No. No. <laughs> 10 phone calls, 10 packages, 10 phone calls. Right. So picture we're selling the software in our earlier example, and we know exactly who the 200 companies are, and we know that the purchasing agent there will be the uh, director of blah, blah, blah. So we put together a package with a real strong message. And I'll give you an example of one we used recently. Uh, they were pitching managed services, right? Managing IT from afar using uh, digital tools uh, to uh, um, uh, people at agencies that run uh, Apple products. So the message was that there's lots of people that'll manage your PC network, but not a lot of people that will manage your Apple or Mac network. So the box had about, I don't know, half a pound of peanuts in it. And there was a little note in there that said, if managing your Mac network is driving you nuts, we should talk with the information from the person who's pitching them. Now, at the end of the day, that's still cold outreach. But think about the reaction when you get that box. Look at this. Someone sent me a box of peanuts. That's interesting. Meanwhile, no outreach has taken place yet because once you create the box, you got to schedule it. So let's say Monday night, sorry, you send the boxes on Monday in UPS to arrive at 10 specific targets that week. We know that UPS is going to make them land on Tuesday or Wednesday. So on Monday night, the last thing your sales team does before they go home is they leave 10 voicemails. Hi, this is Eric. I'm calling from ABC Software Company. I just wanted to let you know that I sent you a package and I'll be following up shortly. That's it. We want to hear the name of the company and the fact that a package is coming. Tuesday or Wednesday, you come back from lunch and there's now a package sitting on your desk that came in from this company. You open it up, you're like, oh, that's interesting. Oh yeah, we are having some challenges with our, our, net, our network. Now on Thursday, because we've assuming all the packages arrived on Tuesday and Wednesday, we carve out an hour of the salesperson's time to follow up with those 10 targets. Hi, this is Eric, I'm calling from ABC Software Company. I'm the guy that sent you the box of peanuts and I was wondering if we could talk about your network. Now, that cold call is still cold. So statistically, um, there's not everybody's going to say, yes, sign me up for some managed services, right? <laughs> However, out of the 10 people, let's say that one of them says yes, okay? That salesperson, if we do that every week, they have 52 sales calls right there. But we're ready with drop-down options for the others. Well, I'm not quite ready to talk about my network. Okay, great. You know, we have a wonderful webinar coming up two weeks from Thursday. May I register you? It's going to be great. Now, let's say you get one or two people that are like, okay, I'll sit on your webinar. 
and the others still say no. The third drop down is, hey, I have a great white paper, six mistakes to avoid when managing your back network, blah, blah, blah. Let me get your email. I'll send it out to you. So let's say we get two or three emails. Well, all of a sudden, the numbers start to add up pretty quickly. If I got two or three emails a week and I got one webinar registration and one sales call times 52, all right, that's big numbers. And then I got 10 salespeople. So now that's 10x those numbers. And all of a sudden, things become really big. Now, even that outreach, if it doesn't result in an immediate sale, we got that person to at least engage with us enough to get into our database so we can continue to drip on them. And that nurture campaign might turn into an opportunity six, 12, nine months from now, who knows? But that activity that we talk about is meant as one of the components of an ABM campaign because you're directly targeting that person. Now, just imagine if that same person, while all this peanut box stuff is going on, saw your ad on LinkedIn as well with another piece of content. And then they heard you were a, a guest speaker or your company was a guest speaker on an industry podcast. Now everything's starting to work together to, and maybe planting some seeds like, man, this company's everywhere. I really should talk to them. Yeah, that's really good advice. And that box of peanuts really does not cost very much. We've seen a lot of clients invest much more significant money in those particular kinds of programs. Like the client that sent the remote control without the, the car and you had to get the, if you took the meeting, you got the car. Like there's a ton of stories like this. Um, I think we did another one. Um, oh, how about the one where uh, we had the little gold coins in the sand, like let us help you find the gold in, yep. the, people in the haystack kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's lots of really creative ways, not for a lot of money necessarily to run these kinds of campaigns. And yeah, but the message has to go to the pains. It's not it the old shoe, like, let me get my foot in the door at your company. Right. That's about you, right. not about them. Right. Yeah. It has to be all tied back to the story you're trying to tell for sure. But that's a couple of really good examples of high-end um, ABM components. And Eric's right. You have to make sure that that's just one piece of what you're executing around ABM so that they get kind of the, they get fully immersed in what the story you're trying to tell from a variety of different reasons, which is why the last point I want to cover before we go into the question uh, section of the show is um, one of the things that I personally like most about ABM campaigns is they demand sales and marketing and alignment. And there are still a lot of companies that are not, don't have sales and marketing aligned. And in fact, if you're thinking ABM and you don't have sales and marketing aligned, I wouldn't even do it. It's, it's, destined to underperform and probably, you know, end up having someone be like, well, what did we get from that? And you have to say nothing. So, or very little. So uh, the reason it aligns sales and marketing so tightly is because while marketing is creating all this outreach, sales is doing all of the outreach execution. So if they're telling a story that marketing put together for them and it's not quite resonating, that feedback has to go to marketing and that story has to get adjusted and then go back to sales. If the story is resonating and sales is fumbling with the outreach part of it, the messaging, the follow-up, then someone has to be like, look, this isn't getting executed as tightly as it needs to be. We need these exact activities to happen on these exact days. Sales has to follow suit. So, um, you're going to need feedback going and coming from marketing to sales, from sales to marketing to make adjustments. You're going to be looking at a shared set of metrics because it's not just about, you know, email sent and social connections. It's about sales opportunities generated and the salespeople are responsible for deciding whether it's a legitimate sales opportunity or not. So, um, you know, they're the ones that are going to be saying like, yeah, we missed our sales opportunity number. Well, marketing has to be like, well, why? What's wrong with these 
leads and they have to get feedback so that they can adjust the program accordingly. So um, look, it's, it's honestly, I've been doing this for a long time. It's one of the few tactics that help marketing and sales get aligned efficiently and effectively. So um, one of the reasons why I'm a big fan of it when it's deployed properly and, and at the right company, because you want sales and marketing aligned in every aspect of your go-to-market. And this is a really great way to get that started and kicked off productively. You can get some significant wins that marketing and sales can take credit for through an ABM campaign. Just think about you know a couple of those boxes that Eric's talking about. If you're scoring every single month, every single, every single week, every single rep is getting three or four people to come to your webinar, that's a huge win for marketing when they run a webinar with 200 people, right? If you're getting 500 people added to your contact database, that's a huge win for marketing to get all those net new contacts added to the database. And when those people do say yes to the sales meeting more frequently than they would with the crazy cold call, that's a big win for sales. So, you know, everyone wins uh, in an ABM campaign when it's done correctly. And that's really what you're looking for. You're looking for a lot of wins for as many people as possible. Mike, talk to me about those cold emails that a lot of people think are also a component of ABM. Yeah, so, you know, look, today there are a lot of uh, digital lists that you can buy, Zoom Info, uh, Seamless AI. Um, there's, there's a couple of others that I can't think of off the top of my head where you can just, you know, sign up and download uh, email addresses, right? And you can just start pumping emails through your marketing automation platform to those. Look, we all get them, right? I don't have to explain to everybody what those are. We've all seen them. They're literally horrible. Every day I spend multiple times a day, just delete, 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 delete. I don't know this person, delete. You know, even when the messages are decent, if I don't know them, I'm I tend to delete them because like, how does this person know what I need? Like, I don't even know who they are. They never talk to me about anything. Everybody's doing that. So it may seem efficient on the surface, but it's actually highly inefficient. And when I tell you what some of the potential outcomes are, A, you're, you're definitely impacting your brand because you're annoying most of the people. You're impacting your domain um, re domain's reputation with pretty much anyone that serves up any kind of electronic services. You run the risk of uh, getting your IP address on a uh, spam list as well. Um, we've had some personal experiences with Google shutting down the entire suite of services. So if you're using Gmail and Google Calendar and other Google products, you may have that you know, shut down. And look, it's not difficult to get it turned back on again, but it's annoying to have someone hunt, hunt down the, the way to get that shut back on. And I've had clients who have run into issues with HubSpot. Now, I'll tell you something you might not know. Almost all of those lists include spam traps. Those are what look like legitimate email addresses, but when you email to them, automatically trigger spam and the uh, following ramifications associated with that. You are flagged a spammer when you th thought you were sending somebody a legitimate email it was a trap to capture you doing what you're not supposed to be doing. So it's very difficult to, to find those uh, and, and not send to them. And even a single email through uh, a, you know uh, some kind of platform, regardless of what it is, could end up, end you up in some hot water around that particular thing. So I don't think that's a legitimate way to go about getting in touch with people. 
um, even though it seems easy and convenient, and there are a lot of people telling you, yes, this will be great. Don't worry about it. I would not uh, take their advice. Well, personal, great. personal experience. We've seen it with our clients, even though we try to advise them not to do it when they do it, we try to help them get out of that hot water. Um, you know, we've had some of our own personal experiences in, in testing some of these things just to see like what the possible outcomes are. And none of them are really super positive. Agreed. All right. Your favorite part of the show, question and answers. We're starting in Woodburn, Washington uh, today. Our Stevie would like to know, we just got started with ABM. What should our expectations be for the first 30, 60, 90 days? It's a really good question. I do think a lot of people have unrealistic expectations about how quickly this is going to work. So what kind of guidance would you give Stevie around expectations 30, 60, 90 days? Well, Stevie, you got to have patience, right? Because you just initiated a brand new campaign. You literally have no data yet. And without data, we can't make informed decisions. So the number one goal of 30, 60, 90 is not generating millions and millions of dollars in revenue, but testing. And testing has to go on first because we think we know what's going to work and we don't, but invariably there's going to be uh, learnings that happen through the data analysis that enable us to just fine tune the program. So could you get a couple of hot opportunities in the first 90 days? Absolutely. But I would not uh, look to any other wins at the end of the first quarter of that ABM campaign, except for uh, data collection, data analysis, discussion about the insights that you've uncovered and adjustments made to the campaign. So that in the second quarter, you're trying to get more consistent results. And this is really a big word, consistent, because we don't really want to turn on an ABM campaign, do three deals, and then spend the rest of the uh, year doing nothing, right? We want to have an ongoing ABM campaign as we add new uh, names to the database and we execute our ABM campaign towards those companies we want to do business with. We can somewhat predict what the outcome will be when the program is mature and fine-tuned. So you're not there yet. Uh, three gold stars for starting the ABM campaign, but be patient and make sure that you're looking at the metrics that are appropriate to deem whether successful or not. Now, even if the results are poor after 90 days, there's some good learnings in there. Thomas Edison decided how to not to make a light bulb the first 2000 times, and then he figured it out. And he said, I just found 2000 ways not to do it. No problem. I think that applies here because maybe you're trying a mix of like LinkedIn paid ads and what box of peanuts we talked about. And then you're uh, personally calling those folks and inviting them to a webinar. That mix in your stew of the ABM might not be the tastiest. So you get the data. People are definitely opening up our emails. They definitely like the boxes, but nobody's signing up for the webinar. And what, all right, maybe we don't need the webinar or maybe we need a new title for the webinar. But you wouldn't know that unless you, you pumped a substantial portion of people through your ABM campaign in the first 90 days. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. I'm gonna uh, tag on to what Eric said and, and basically give you the same advice we give a lot of our clients across all of these kinds of programs, which is, you really got to be patient with this. You got to run it for the whole year, right? It's not like you you run ABM and a month later, you're like, didn't work, stop. You know, we'll go back to it in a couple months. Like that's absolutely not going to produce results. So if you're going to do ABM, if you think that's the right tactic, I would consider it's something that you're going to run for the entire year before you're ready to make some kind of decision about whether it's working or not for next year. And I would really lean into it. If you're looking for some early indicators about whether it's working or not in the first 30 days, I think you could look at how many 
new connections were we able to uncover? How many people um, responded to our message on LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook or however we're reaching out to people using social or if we're using the 101010 program, you know, how many net new contacts do we get in the database as a result of that outreach? Like that might be a measure of success in the first 30 days, right? Eric's right. Those aren't sales opportunities. Those aren't new customers yet. Don't expect that in 30 days. But I think if you're looking for contacts or net new names, that might be a good uh, measure for the first 30 days. And then first, in the second 30 days, I'd be looking to see how many people are actually engaged with your sales reps in the content conversation. How many of them have asked for the content that you're offering? And how many new email addresses did you get from that set of outreach, right? So someone's a new connection. Now they're actually engaged in uh, a conversation via email, uh, sharing the content and the stories and the, the, the videos and the webinar invites and those things that you're feeding up to them so that you can call them an engaged contact, right? So a contact is just a new friend. An engaged contact is someone who the reps are actually having a conversation with about potentially issues that they might be having. Um, they're getting to know them in a professional way, of course. Maybe in the 90-day, in that third 30-day period, perhaps some of those have been nurtured long enough for them to have a first meeting or for sales to consider this a sales qualified lead, someone that actually has pain for what we do. There's a fit for how we solve it. And I'm actually talking to the right person. You know, again, they're not necessarily closing, but sales are saying, yes, we're getting sales qualified leads out of this campaign. Um, and now the rest of that time is going to be spent taking them through your sales process, whatever that looks like. You know, that might be a good way to uh, set some expectations with leadership. So a good way to benchmark some performance expectations and then, you know, see how you're doing over the course of the first couple of months of an ABM campaign. But I can't um, overemphasize enough what Eric said is you are going to find things that don't work in that first 90 days and you should be comfortable making some adjustments. Really, it's probably six months into an ABM campaign before you've really kind of done a lot of optimization and you have a very good handle on what is producing connects, what's producing engaged contacts and what's producing sales opportunities. Okay, Callie from Santa Barbara in California wants to know what specific tactics could we use to get and maintain the alignment between sales and marketing you mentioned during the show? So that's a good question for you, Eric. How can we make that sales and marketing in alignment and how can we reinforce it during the course of the ABM campaign? Well, you know, this goes back to our ongoing conversation around the revenue team and not sales and marketing, right? If we have a revenue team and some people on the revenue team are in charge of generating leads and other people on the revenue team are in charge of closing leads, now everybody's working together or in other words, pulling on the rope in the same direction. So we'll start there. If that's the case, then it's a coordinated effort from the revenue team to create an ABM campaign. The marketing team will define the personas the uh, sales team will give likely uh, sales objections and uh, uh, the titles and roles and things like that. And then together, we're going to talk about what's our go-to-market message strategy uh, deliverables and so forth. I think also one of the biggest things around sales and marketing alignment is uh, the content. 
because sales is where the rubber meets the road. They've had a hundred conversations with like-minded prospects who ask questions and demonstrate certain concerns around doing business with your company. They have to, um, uh, relay that to the marketing team so they can create the appropriate piece of content that'll push the right buttons and get these people to step forward, raise their hand and say, hello, I'd love to speak with you. So that's a big alignment conversation as well. Then uh, I think uh, a second part of that would be alignment around the tools that we're using, right? Because marketing would then write the emails that might be on the nurture campaign where sales is following a deal and doing the steps uh, agreed upon in the ABM campaign. But in order for us to bring the whole thing together and have insight into what's working and not, it all has to be entered into the same platform. So if marketing is using HubSpot and it's not integrated with uh, Salesforce, which the sales team is using to track the uh, results of the ABM outreach, you have a major, major chasm between the two where there's a lot of black hole conversations like, well, how does this impact that? And how does this impact that? Like it's just not connected. So whatever you're doing, it has to be tied together with some technology backbone so that the sales and marketing team could be looking at the same thing. Yeah, I think also, Eric mentioned it, if you're having a revenue team meeting and you should be having a joint meeting, you know, at least weekly, but uh, monthly minimum, but weekly probably would be more optimal. You're going to have a bunch of agenda items that the revenue team is covering, but one of them should be the performance of the ABM campaign. And you should be openly and as a group discussing the performance of the marketing tactics and the performance that sales has seen from their specific outreach and their specific uh, attempt to get sales opportunity, sales leads and sales opportunities. If you're having that open conversation and everyone's kind of doing some brainstorming and discussing issues together, I think that might be one of the best ways to keep that alignment between sales and marketing. And um, you never know where the best ideas come from. And one of the sales reps might be like, oh, well, why don't we you know, change the webinar to X? And I've had a number of people say to me, like, if you had a webinar on that, like, I'd definitely go to it. Like, you know, marketing tries to be as close to the customer and prospect as possible, but no, no one's ever going to beat sales from that perspective. They just talk to so many people, you know, of course, the, the, their day-to-day, -day, you know, function is to speak to prospects. So, so um, I think that that would probably be one of the best tactics I could recommend is just carve out some time in that joint meeting to discuss the ABM campaign and discuss it openly as a group and see what's working, what's not working and discuss ways to improve the performance together. Yeah, I mean, it's such a big step. I don't want to gloss over it, like get your sales and marketing people together and keep them together. I mean, even in 2022, we hear it literally on a weekly basis, like, oh, no, our marketing team's over here and our sales team's over there and, you know, whatever. Or if we're talking to marketing, they say literally say things like, well, we don't really know what sales is doing over there. That's a sin. Yeah. And not something you don't really have to deal with anymore if you set it up properly. Correct. All right. Uh, Woody in Piedmont, Texas wants to know, how frequently do you have to train the sales team on the social media tools you're using for initial outreach? And what does training usually look like? Uh, you should take that. You're more social media oriented than I am. Sure. So um, how frequently? It, it, it's going to depend. Like every single person has a slightly different feeling and set of experiences with social. I know people who hate it. I know people who love it. And you could say that about every single platform. Some people don't use LinkedIn. Some people only use Instagram. Some people use Facebook. 
Some people get all their news from Twitter. Like, you know, you could literally go from platform to platform and person to person, you're going to get a different story. I think most of the platforms that we're really talking about from an ABM perspective uh, is really LinkedIn and, and maybe Twitter also. Um, and I think when it comes to social selling, it's a very specific skill set. So it's not so much like, how do I use LinkedIn? But it's how do I use LinkedIn to connect with the people that I want to talk to? How do I find those people? What does the outreach look like? And the training around that is not that complicated. Square Two doesn't do LinkedIn, doesn't do social media training for salespeople, but there are a lot of people that do that, and that's all they do. And they were literally, <coughs> they were literally, literally sit down and show salespeople click by click how to find the people they're looking for, how to craft the message how to send it so it's one-to-one -one as opposed to one-to-many, um, how to set up their LinkedIn profiles, because that's a big piece of it. If someone likes your message, they want to see who you are. Um, and by the way, one of the things we've learned over the years is that while a lot of companies think the company profile is important, it's actually not as important as all of your personal profiles. So people are much more likely to connect with people than they are with a company. So you don't want to send any of this, these messages from company pages. You want to send them from personal pages, which means everybody who's sending these messages, all their personal pages need to be buttoned up tight, have the right messaging, the right images, the right videos, the right supporting content, which is probably a whole nother exercise to get your sales reps ready to, to run an ABM campaign. But if this is an issue for you, I would suggest you do a little bit of Googling locally and find somebody who can come in and train your team on how to use um, uh, how to use uh, social media for selling. And that's really what we're talking about here. I think it's a very uh, relatively easy thing to execute, easy thing to find. And frequency, actually, probably, I think if you did it once and maybe had a refresher course the next quarter, you'd probably be fine. None of these tools are particularly complicated. I think it's just a matter of, it's a matter of doing something one or two times, and then you know how to do it. All right, I got a question from Nigel in Scotland. How would you go about assessing whether a company could handle an ABM campaign on their own or whether they should consider partnering with an agency that might help? Can you handle that one? Sure. I mean, you have to do an assessment on four basic criteria and you got to nail all four out of four if you want to do it in-house. You have to have a team that will create an excellent strategy, messaging strategy. Who are we targeting? Pains, problems, solutions. Uh, how do I differentiate? All right, headlines, offers, all those kinds of things. So you need a strategy team. If you only have one marketing manager and he or she is a recent college graduate, you're not going to have enough uh, strategy experience to be able to uh, at least get off on the right foot. So strategy is number one. Rate, rate yourself one through five. Do we have the strategy to engage with people or we don't have that? Second is the tactics, right? So do you have people in-house that could create content? Do you have a web person that could create the landing page or we're directing people from paid ads? Do you have a paid ad person in general? Like those, how you have to assess yourself on the tactical side. You're gonna to need to run the campaigns, right? Is that a sales manager running the campaign? Do you even have a sales manager? Is there a dedicated sales team that has quotas that knows they have to attack 50 people per week, blah, blah, blah. So you gotta have a thorough understanding of campaigns and the horses to go to market with it. And then finally, are you using the technology? That's the biggest bucket when it comes to uh, making sure you can run it in-house. If you're trying to do what we've been describing for the last 48 minutes manually, well, yeah, maybe you can reach out to three people a week, but you need technology. If you want to reach 200 people times 10 sales reps each week, that's how you really scale a program like that. So you have to be very, very uh, self-evaluatory. Yep. 
I, didn't I, I think that was my word from a couple of shows ago. All right, like SAT, you got to use it twice. Um, <laughs> point I'm trying to make here is that like, if you rate yourself one through five on those four areas and you come out below 10, you got to outsource it. If you're an 18, you might want to do it in-house. Yeah, agreed. I mean, like it's a lot of work, it's complicated. And if you haven't done it before, it may even be good to bring an agency in to help you get it set up and to run it. Maybe you could pick it up and bring it in house after a couple months, you know, after you've kind of like got it up and out and you see that it's working, that's possible. You know, also if you work closely with the agency to get it set up, you may be able to make adjustments to it and set up, you know, next year's ABM campaign or the second half of 2022's ABM campaign on your own. So you know, a lot of agencies like us, we're happy to teach our clients what we do and then allow them to try to do it on their own. Like that might be a nice blend of thinking, uh, getting some help initially and then feeling like you can bring it in-house over time. <laughs> okay, uh, Sammy from uh, Montana wants to know, and we've been talking about ads a lot. So she wants to know, uh, I know some companies use ads as part of their ABM campaign. Can you talk about how to use ads and when it makes sense and how to connect the ads to the rest of the ABM effort? So Eric, I'll start in on this and you can add uh, if you feel like it when I'm done. But Sammy, the ad component of ABM is a little bit like the air cover component of a military operation, right? If you leave everything to the ground troops, like we've been talking about, right? Reps are making phone calls, reps are sending connect messages, reps are sending emails, reps are serving up content. Reps are falling up on packages. That's the ground game, right? It's a lot of slog. It's a lot of, you know, uh, um, you know, down and dirty execution, right? And that can be challenging if it's not accompanied with an air campaign, which is how the ads kind of how we position the ads that make it easier to get through the ground game. And what I mean by that is if you're making phone calls and you're connecting and you're sending packages and you're talking to people on social and they've never heard of your company and they don't know what you do. They don't know why you do it differently. They don't know why they should talk to you. It's going to be much harder for the reps to kind of get through the tactics we've been talking about. If you're also serving up ads to them and they've seen your company website and they've heard about your company a couple of times, and they maybe even checked out a couple of pages on your site or maybe read some of the stuff you've been publishing blogs or podcasts or videos and then someone reaches out to them, it's going to be easier. You know, like, oh, yeah, I've heard of you. Like, oh, I actually went to your website a week or two ago. Like, I kind of know what you do. It's just tell me a little bit more. Like, I wasn't really paying attention. Like, you know, like, it's just going to be easier for the reps to kind of get through it and get to where they're trying to be, which is a good, solid sales opportunity. So typically what we see ads, we like to recommend ads be used in like tier two or tier three, where it's going to be harder and longer for the reps to get through the, the, the larger group in tier two and tier three, the ads can, can uh, prime the pump and prime the market for the reps to be much more efficient when they're dealing with much bigger numbers. You can certainly serve ads up to the tier ones, but when you're inviting them to a special dinner at the big trade show and you're sending them a nice package and you're you know, doing things that are very special and unique for them, that serves a lot of the purpose of getting their attention and getting them comfortable and interested in what you have to say. But you certainly could include them in the ad campaigns as well. Lots of times the ad campaigns are used when you have bigger numbers and you're trying to get in touch with more people at the same time. Um, but either one of those options makes sense. And those ads are generally social 
based, highly targeted by company, by sector, by even a, a role at specific companies, um, mostly through LinkedIn. We don't do a lot of Twitter advertising. I probably wouldn't recommend Twitter advertising to anybody who asked me about it. But I think LinkedIn is a good opportunity to serve these ads up. And you could do them on Facebook, too. Um, you know, a lot of people think Facebook is B2C and LinkedIn is B2B. I don't know that that's actually true. I think Facebook and Instagram have a lot of opportunities to profile your B2B contacts and get in front of them when they may be looking for personal content. But it doesn't matter. Interests are interests. You know, I like cooking. Um, I like travel. You know, I like home improvement. But when the paid advertisement pops up in my Instagram feed, I pay just as much attention to it as I pay to all the other things because it's one of my interests. So there are people who are targeting me, the CEO of a small uh, a digital uh, agency, and they're getting in my feed and they're getting my attention. I don't always click on them, but they're obviously getting in front of me and that's what their objectives are. So lots of interesting ways to think about how the ad provides an air cover to your ABM campaign. Mike, talk to us a little bit about budget also, because ABM being narrow requires a much more modest budget. It does, right. So you're not serving up ads to every CEO on the planet, right? You're serving up ads to very specific people at very specific companies. And that does narrow your budget um, and protect your, narrow your audience and protect your budget. However, sometimes uh, depending on the platform, you need a certain amount of people in your targeted audience to even run the ads. So if you think you're going to run the ads to like all the procurement managers at John Deere and there's, you know, 50 of them across the country, that's going to be too narrow for you to serve up a John Deere specific purchasing manager ad. But if you served up purchasing manager ads to all the major agricultural manufacturing companies, which would also probably be good for you, you can have a much bigger audience and you can go at it in, in a very similar way and use the platform exactly how it's designed to be used. All right, Ray from New Orleans wants to know, what are some of the key metrics we should be looking at when it comes to ABM campaigns? I mean, we did kind of cover that a little bit. Um, connect rates, Ray, in the beginning, who can I get to connect with me? Um, engagement rates in the second stage or the second part of your ABM process, which you know, engagement rates would probably be similar, similar to net new email addresses that you're collecting from the people you're going after. And then the third major piece of it would be, you know, what kind of sales qualified leads are we producing? And then how many of those are actual legit sales opportunities? And then there's a whole bunch of other metrics, like how long is it taking people to cycle through that process? That would be interesting. Are they getting from initial outreach on social to sales opportunity in two weeks, two months, six months? And that might be some indication of your the pace of your ABM campaign might be too slow or too fast. So I might be looking at that. And then you probably want to look at revenue opportunity associated with the sales opportunities to make sure you're really getting the big whales that you're trying to target. You know, if you're going after whales and you're uh, coming back with mackerel, you know, there might be some uh, potential indication that your targeting could be off, your messaging could be off. Maybe even market opportunity might not be there. Like you think these whales are going to be there and spending a ton of money and they're really interested in small projects. So there could be a misalignment in what you're going to market with. So there are a lot of uh, ABM metrics you could look at. How do you know how big a mackerel is? How do you know it's not giant? Mackerel? Oh, I guess you're right. I don't really know anything about fishing. Tuna? No, tuna's big too. Sardines. 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 sardines, good. All Both sardines fish. are small, right? Smelts. <laughs> okay. So you may be going after a whale and ended up with sardines. Thank you right. for correcting me. You don't right. like fishing either. What are you talking about? 
but I certainly don't know how big a mackerel is. <laughs> All right. I got one more question, Eric, then we'll wrap it up. So we're trying to decide if an inbound approach or an ABM approach is right for us. Is it one or the other? Do these ever get executed at the same time? Uh, Vera in Laguna Beach wants to know, how do you think about marrying these two approaches together? Vera, if you got the budget and the resources, you got to do both because they overlap in so many different places. A good piece of content that I posted on my website and then search engine optimized for inbound purposes can be repurposed for your ABM campaign. A great video that I'm using in my sales process uh, for inbound could certainly be used as a supporting sales tool in my ABM campaign. So you want to look at... Um, content strategy as a simple example of where the overlaps might be. And if you have content that would be appropriate for an ABM campaign, use it. No reason to create stuff that you don't need. Remember, your ABM campaign is just going out and telling the story where your inbound campaign is people coming in and hearing your story. So I guess there should be 50 to 75% similarity in those two campaigns. It's just in the execution, right? I'm waiting for people to find my content and come in or I'm now impatient and pushing it out in front of them because I want to sell today. But the storytelling, the content, the persona should be very similar. Yeah, all of that stuff should be the same. I think it comes down to, you know, what is your company's approach to lead generation, right? If you're comfortable, you know, Eric and I were on a call today, they seem to have plenty of business, right? They didn't need extra business immediately. So, you know, in that case, perhaps inbound is the way to go. It's certainly a less expensive approach than an outwardly facing ABM campaign. Um, so if you can wait for the people to find you and you're comfortable with them landing on your website and meandering around for a week or two and then coming back and converting and then nurturing and eventually finding their way into the sales pipeline, then you know, I would lean into ABM. If you have a much more proactive approach and you have a more of a, uh, your company is expressing a sense of urgency around lead generation and sales and revenue and growth, then you probably can't wait for inbound to work and you need to add ABM to it to, to uh, attract the right people and get them interested in what you do. Now, generally ABM only works when you know who you want to sell to. And there are a lot of companies that want leads today and they want an aggressive approach, but they're not exactly sure where all these people are. And that's kind of where demand generation comes in, where we're creating outward facing marketing campaigns that are a little broader, uh, targeting more of like a kind of company or a specific industry or a specific kind of person at a specific kind of company as opposed to that laser focus, I'm going to market to Eric, the CEO at Comcast, because I want to do business with Comcast, right? Instead, I'm marketing to telecom companies because I have something that appeals to all telecom companies. That might be more suited for a demand generation campaign. Now, Eric is also correct. If budget is no option, and obviously many of you, budget is no option, I do it all right? Because there are probably whales out there that you want to do business with. And there are probably kind of broad pockets of business that you think there's an opportunity to go after. And you also want to have a solid inbound approach because when people do look for you, you want to get found and you want to get them engaged and you want them eventually moving into the sales conversations as well. So, you know, if you want to go after everything, you got a big budget, I would do it all. Um, and again, like it really comes down to sense of urgency. What's the goals and objectives for the company? And then how big, how much money are you guys investing in your go-to-market? Yeah, I mean, 
I, I think you have to look for the repurpose opportunity in those two scenarios, right? There's a lot of things that could cross over. Yeah, there's no question about it. And should, right? You have the same message really going out in all these different channels. A lot of the content can be served up through uh, different channels to, uh, at different times. So there are some efficiencies associated with kind of rolling all these out at the same time. Awesome, Eric. Thanks so much. Let me wrap up by saying, check out the show on YouTube. Square Two Marketing Channel has all of the What's Wrong With Revenue shows posted there. It'll be up tomorrow. Check it out. Like us, subscribe, leave comments. We really like hearing from our audience members. Uh, if you want to check out the show and you're into podcasts, all of the your favorite podcast platforms feature the show. Um, check us out there for your audio content. If you want to check out all of Square Two's audio and video content, head on over to square2marketing.com backslash square2plus for our free Netflix-style streaming service. Yes, Eric? I just Googled it. Mackerels are two pounds and 16 inches. Your application was correct. Oh, thank you. You can't catch a giant mackerel. You always say like when you go to the sales office, the guy's the big mackerel on the side of the wall. Do I say mackerel? I think I see something <laughs> like that. No, not mackerel. I know what you're talking about. Like marlin. 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 Yes, you're right. See, I know nothing about fish. No, even though we are at the shore of today's shore episode. Yes, right. We have to learn more about fish. I like to eat fish. <laughs> trip tomorrow. Right. Sorry. So Square 2 Plus, Netflix-style streaming service. Check it out. All of Square 2's audio video content is there. We post stuff every single week. Go check it out. You can actually subscribe to Square 2 Plus, and we'll let you know every time we get a new piece of content posted up there. If you like the show and you want to ask questions like Vera and Ray and Sammy and Nigel, you can go to What's Wrong With Revenue. There's a link at the bottom of our website. Click on it. There's a place to submit questions. And I will guarantee if you submit a question, we will answer it on the show like we did today. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We really appreciate having you. Have a really great rest of your week, and we'll see you all back here next Wednesday. Surf's up. <laughs>